Thank you. All right, that's a little better. Or maybe it's not better. <laughs> now you can hear me. So anyway, but just like you, you know, things change. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit sad that, uh, you know, there was one less around the table um, from marriage difficulties. So, you know, you know, life can be good, but life can also be difficult. We're all in this uh, journey together, and uh, life isn't always easy. And speaking about life not being easy, you know, um, last night, uh, you, you know, I did everything possible. I slept in my Tom Brady bed. I had the covers out there and the pillows, and it didn't uh, happen anyway. I think uh, Will last week, when he was speaking, jinxed us when he made those <laughs> terrible, 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 where are you, Will? Oh, there you are, yeah. Love you, man. All right. But, uh, you know, it wasn't an amazing last week. Wasn't it fantastic that, uh, if you noticed, everyone on the platform last week was 26 years old or younger. That is a blessing. We are a blessed church to be able to have um, our all spectrums engaged. Young, old, you know, it's fantastic. Well, we're back into Jesus On. We started this in November, took a break for the Christmas season, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus speaks and does this message on the Mount, it is still reverbing through our culture today. Uh, there are little expressions that you may even hear as you're in the marketplace, at work, at school, in the neighborhood. People will say sometimes like, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, don't judge, love your enemies, do unto others as you would have done unto you, the golden rule. You hear these expressions, and they all originate back with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus gave that message, it rocked the ears of the listeners. They, they were blown away by the things that he said. He said truth that they were aware of, but there was a fresh edge to it, like they hadn't experienced before. So we're going to continue on with this series, and we're going to continue on working our way through. Um, if you missed any of those messages, uh, they are available online. And all the way through, or at guest services, you can pick up a CD, all the way through, we continue to remind ourselves and lean into the idea that Jesus can make life better and makes us better at life. Uh, those of us who are uh, familiar with faith have been, uh, you know, in a sense, secure in our faith for years. You know, we know this, but we have to go back and remind ourselves of it. And then there's some of us that uh, might be a little bit skeptical of it. And uh, you're trying to figure out if that's really true. Or maybe you've had experiences where you've seen the bottom of life drop out and, and you say, it's not true, I'm here, I'm trying to figure it out, or, or whatever. But the whole thread through all of the Sermon on the Mount is that when you and I say yes to Jesus, when we welcome him into our life, uh, he makes life better. Not perfect, but he makes life better and makes us better at life. Now, you already heard Cindy saw, say this. It's on the front of your program. But this is a PG-13 message. And what I mean by that is as you listen to this, um, there's going to be a great opportunity for you to give parental guidance to your children, teenagers, 
uh, even young, and talk about these things around the table or in the right, the right place. Uh, this will not be a rated R message, but it will be a PG-13 message. It will raise questions. And uh, again, as uh, having three grown daughters now, uh, I really valued these moments because it gave us an opportunity to talk about some of the awkward things that uh, we as parents ought to talk about. And so, again, this is a, a PG-13 message. So if in the middle of it, uh, you know, you feel like, wow, my, you know, this is a little way too much over my uh, child's uh, ears. If it's too much for you, sorry. But, uh, but if it's your child, um, you know, please don't feel weird about, you know, getting up and, and, and you know, leaving this room. And I'd say it in the, in the commons area, it's blasting too. So, uh, but uh, you can't get away from it. <laughs> Uh, that's the reason it's a good thing now the mic maybe is working. All right. So anyway, so just, just, to, just to lay those uh, guidelines down. Now, um, we're going to be talking about an issue that really is uh, one of the most uh, painful things in our culture. And all of us have experienced this either from someone in our family or ourselves. And it's just, it's destroyed many lives, many marriages, many, many families. And as, as, we, as we walk through this, there's going to be a gentleness, but there's also going to be a directness. Uh, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to be clear, uh, but, uh, but gentle from compassion uh, as we walk our way through this. Now, when I was uh, around 10 or 12, some of you have heard this story, my family was visiting my cousins, and as we walked in the door greeting everyone, my cousin grabbed my arm and said, you've got to come with me. And so we went up to his bedroom, he shut the door very tightly, there was no lock on it, but he shut the door very tightly, and then he went into his, slid his closet door open, and inside his closet, there was another little door that had like the access to the eaves. And he opened that up and he grabbed a magazine. And the magazine he grabbed me was a penthouse, Playboy. And he said, you've got to see this. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I can even today bring up those images 40-plus years later. They, they messed with me. Now, that story is, is really not uncommon to, to most of us. There's a moment in life where we're introduced to all of that. And growing up today, there's even more access to all of that with the Internet, and, and you've heard all about that. But, but that is a part of our culture, and it is, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing because it, it really gets into the heart and gets into the soul of those who participated or who are exposed to it. And, and, then, and then on top of that, you realize that the pornography um, industry, if you want to call it that, is at least a hundred billion dollars worldwide. Uh, statistics say more than 30% of the internet is consumed with it. 90% of boys and 60% of girls are exposed to internet pornography by the age of 18. And that might be a little bit low. It's interesting that, or, or sad, that pornography sites attract more searches than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. Now the question is, why 
Is it a $100 billion industry? Why does that happen? Why is it so attractive? Why is it catching the imagination and the attention of so many people? And the reason why is because as human beings, God designed us for intimacy. It's wired into our lives that we be connected to one another. There's no person that walks the face of the planet that isn't wired for intimacy. The desire for intimacy shows up and makes ripples into, into lots of places in our lives. Now, when we were at our parents' house, uh, my daughters, God love them, gave my parents Downington Abbey movie. So one evening, 13 of us crammed into their little family room, and on it went, two of the boys were playing video games in the living room, and at that moment, it was my cue to leave. So I grabbed my pro AirPods, woo, got them for Christmas, and went into the living room, sat with the boys, opened up my computer, and decided to watch something else. And what I watched for was Lost in Space, the new edition. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm really, really hot on this. It's got everything. Um, I, I've got to let you see it for a second here. Will Just, Robinson this of the is Will Robinson, the new Will Robinson. I'm making a record of this because it seems we're the first humans to try and turn a spaceship into a sailboat. Anchors away. I am the passenger. I see the stars come out of the sky. Is that a waterfall? Can we just get where we're going once without crashing? Oh. Everyone, strap in! Will, come on! I love you guys. What the heck is happening here? Where is everyone else? They have what? Do you know why? The monster? get out of here and leave all this behind. We have to protect ourselves. Normal is out there somewhere. We just have to find it. Excuse me. I didn't get a job. Your job is to do nothing and touch nothing. She never likes it when someone else saves the day. Your mom, your sisters. Keep each other safe. I love you. Will Robinson, can anybody hear me? Mayday! It has everything. Explosions. Robots. Things that look like, like dinosaurs trying to eat people, explosions, waterfalls, everything. But the common thread, the common thread, because I binge watched this, I watched it in two and a half days, ten episodes, the common thread was intimacy. Everybody, every character is looking to 
belong. The mom and dad, John and Maureen, reconnection. The sisters, dealing with who they are. Will Robinson, even Dr. Smith, even the robot is looking for connection. You see, it's hardwired into us. You see it in everything. I loved this so much that I had to watch it again, and I made Cindy watch it with me. This is a selfie of us. She's watching it with me, and uh, she really enjoyed it, as you can see, and we finished it up uh, New Year's Eve evening. But, uh, but again, there's this whole idea of this idea of connection. You see, we all want intimacy. We all want closeness. And Jesus obviously understands that and gets into a subject as we make our way through chapter 5 that is all about intimacy in a sense, the desire for it, the desire for connection gone awry, broken. Like the song we just sang about the world is broken. Well, we see the planet, the physical aspects of the world having cracks in it but we see the cracks in ourselves, the brokenness. And what we're going to see is that you and I need to think about this. This is in your message guide. A directing desire that was designed for intimacy. That really is what today is going to come down to, and it has certain expressions. But it's the idea that you and I need to understand that no matter who we are, no matter if, if we don't real, we just got dragged to church today, we think this is a bunch of baloney, and it doesn't matter who you are, you have this design, or you would say evolved, or whatever you want to call it, but you have this thing in you that, that wants intimacy. And the question is how we direct that. And Jesus is all about having us direct our desire for intimacy in a certain way, not to limit us, we sang about that too, but to free us, to open up life to us, not to limit us. And if we were to take time and go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we would see the whole Adam and Eve and the whole idea that there was, a, there was an innocence to their intimacy, to their transparency, their closeness, and, and that was the intent. But God gave us a free will. And uh, we live in the wake of that even today. We watch the news, we hear about horrendous things happening with people in churches and synagogues around the world. We hear about threatening wars, on and on and on and on. And there's a fight to control and to have a connection and to, in a sense, possess. And that all flows back to this idea that our desire for intimacy and closeness and connection has gone off. So I'd like you to look at Matthew 5:27. That's page 878 in the Rack Bible. Uh, also, you know, we really like the fact that uh, uh, there's an app for your phone, your device that's uh, called UVersion. It's free. You can have your Bible wherever you go. 
Uh, also, many of the verses, uh, the things we'll look at will be on the screen. So, and if you don't have a paper Bible and you want that rack Bible, please feel free uh, to take it. So let's uh, jump right in with uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. All right. There it said, we can pack up and go home. <laughs> oh, if it was that uh, simple. Where, where does this come from? Jesus is quoting the seventh commandment. You have heard from the Ten Commandments. And uh, he starts to uh, get into this, and he's talking, and he says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And he's going to expand on this, and we're going to again see that this comes back to directing our desires. Verse 28 in the message paraphrase says it this way, but don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they are also corrupt. So he's turning his listeners on their ears, basically. He's saying, you think not committing adultery, you think not being intimate with someone outside of your marriage relationship when you're married or vice versa. You think you've got it covered if that's not the case. And he says something else is going on. That is a symptom of something inside. You see, Jesus' point is you can be technically true to honoring the command and still have a heart that's rotting on the inside and still have a sickness that's unaddressed. So that's just an expression. That, that's the outside of something inside. We could call this the iceberg principle. Some of us have seen a lot of these pictures. They use this to illustrate a lot of things. The tip of the iceberg, and at the top is what you see, but there's way more below the surface. And so for us, when it comes to this subject and many of the subjects Jesus is talking about through the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he, Sermon on the Mount, he, he says something, but there's something much larger, bigger, weightier below the surface. So we would put adultery on that top part. And then using Jesus' words, we would put lust underneath the waterline, the part that is inside our heart, our soul, whatever you want to call that, our being. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, who didn't do well in this area himself, wrote this, reflecting this idea. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything. Everything. So when I say something or do something and say, oh, that really wasn't me. I didn't really mean it. Jesus says, wait a minute, Dave Spencer. Where do you think that came from? That came from inside you. That is who you are. 
that is a reflection. Your filters went down, your guard went down. Yeah, you might have been tired, might have this, blah, 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 blah. There, there might be, but, but that, that came from you. It didn't come from just out of the air. See, everything you do flows from our hearts. Jesus in another place says this, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. I also want to say good thoughts, but evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, anything that's outside of God's design for intimacy. That could be for another message. Theft, false testimony, slander, the list could go on. All reflect back to the iceberg principle. So when we start to dive into this and we start to think about it, we have to try to figure out what Jesus really is saying to us or, or what Jesus is not saying to us. So we're going to real quickly go through some things that he's not saying to us. Then we're going to talk about some things he is saying to us. And then we're going to draw some conclusions about how we can navigate through these waters. So the first thing he's not saying to us is this. He's not saying that our sexuality is bad. He's not saying that absolutely not. He's not saying that because God created it. God designed it. God made our bodies in such a way that there are body parts that are basically designed for pleasure. It was all his idea. So we should say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. He made us for that. So some of the views that it's bad and all this, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's not God's intention. Not God. He's not saying that at all. Because if he is saying it, he set us up. He put this system in our lives, this desire for intimacy, which gets expressed through sexual experiences and expression and all that kind of He made us, he wired us that way, so it would be unfair to wire us in such a way that, that being who God's made us to be in the right context would be wrong. So he's not saying that it's bad. He's also saying, or not saying, that temptation is a sin. He's not saying that. He's saying that it's a part of life. You are going to be tempted. You're a human being. But temptation is not a sin. But what we do with temptation is of utmost importance. What we do with it. It doesn't even really matter where it comes from. Sometimes you hear, oh, was that the devil tempting me? Well, maybe, maybe not. Was that, was that the world that I live in tempting? Maybe, maybe not. Or was that me? I mean, it might be nice to have a little bit of an idea, but the bottom line is what do you do with the temptation? Because when we don't identify it, when we don't address it, when we don't, aren't conscious of it, when we ignore it, it puts things into motion that uh, we really don't want to experience. Maybe for the moment we do, but the consequences uh, limit life. They, they suck that freedom and that joy out of life. In James we read, the temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Woo, that's harsh. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. 
all of us know stories of when this process in any area has come up and, and, it, and it has the baby and then it goes into adulthood and then it kind of kills life. It sucks the joy out of life. Even though when we started down that road, we, we, we might not have thought it was a good idea, but we thought the ramifications wouldn't be that bad. You see, temptation is not sin, but we have to deal with temptation. May sound a little bit uh, on the edge here, but attraction to beauty and arousal isn't a sin. It just means you're alive. God has made some people more beautiful than other people. That, that's just the way it is. I'm an evidence of that, right? Yeah, now everyone's going, oh, 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 I can laugh at that. Yeah, we need to come up for air a little bit in this conversation. <laughs> Temptation, not a sin. But it, it's natural, but it's, it's what we do with it. Another thing, uh, just to identify, and we'll kind of touch on this a little bit more, but I just wanted to fit it in here, is that lust and adultery aren't equal. Okay. Sometimes you say, well, if you thought in your heart, it's just like you did it. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. So, so those, those aren't equal. But again, we want to get to the heart of the issue, not just deal with the external expression of it. We want to get to the place where we don't, we don't have to be so filtered because we, it's inside. We, we want to deal with that. We want to minimize that. Again, it's not going to totally go away for most of us, but we, don't want, to, we want to minimize its impact. Back to verse 28 says, But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's making the connection. He's not saying they are equal. Okay. So what is Jesus saying? What's he, what's he getting at here? Uh, verse 28 again starts to talk about, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's three ideas. There's three concepts that get tied to the original language. I'm not going to go through all the details of that. Words used, one word not used, and, and all those kinds of things. But, but I want you to think about three things. Uh, first of all, this idea of look. This idea of look is a holding look that traces. This isn't a glance. This isn't, wow, look at him, look at her. It's, it's the look that holds and the idea actually is it even traces the silhouette of another person. That's what he's talking about. That's the emphasis of that word looks. We look, we see something, and it isn't always that way. There are many nuances that don't always come through in our English translations. But that idea of looks, a holding look that traces. Sometimes we hear about the second look, the gaze or whatever. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's also talking about an intention to act. The English Standard Version uses, instead of uh, lustfully, uses lustful intent. And sometimes, you know, we, we have that, that look of intent of doing something, and, and sometimes the intent is there, 
but the opportunity per se isn't there, but our mind is there like it's doing it. It's the intent, the intent to act. So it's just not a glance, it's just not a look, it's, it's not just awareness. It's holding a look that traces and it's an intention to act. And then also there's this idea of a focus with passionate desire to possess to lust, to possess another person, to, to, to have them for you. It's almost to make that person into a commodity, to make them into a, a item, not a personhood. It's, it's, it's losing the image of God, reflection. It's just there, something for me to have. And you take the personhood out of them. And in our society today, you know, there was a day where in some of these things it seemed like this was more of a, uh, a masculine male problem, but this is, this, is, this is an everybody gender problem today, and it continues to grow in that way. The whole Me Too movement shows that society is beginning to crack under the pressures of it. Because people are realizing it's just horrendous and it's out there. The sex trafficking with, with, with people and then with children, it just goes on and on and on. And it's happening. Sometimes we've seen even just recently in the news, uh, people getting like attacked and their little doorknob uh, video camera catches them. And people are trying, you know, getting abducted. I think there was a little... Uh, let's say 10, 12-year-old boy who's like knocking on his door and someone's chasing him around and you're watching this all on their little, their little camera. This, this stuff is out there. We need to be aware. Not scared, 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 but we need to be aware. This idea of lust is this. Lust is a raw selfishness. It's all about my wants, my needs, my pleasure. And nothing will get in the way, and we're starting, and we're seeing just extreme examples of that. And it's a symptom of darkness in the heart inside. An unhealthy heart. An unhealthy heart turns love into lust, and human beings into objects for gratification. And... Uh, we have to guard against this. Instead of loving people, we use people. Got to watch out for this. It's insidious. We talked about pornography and some of the graphic videos are out there. They're finding over and over again that that, that is like an entry-level drug, if you will, to all kinds of behavior. I can't remember if I shared this in a prior message, but I remember reading somewhere that um, they were interviewing uh, boys, again, 10 or 12 years old, and asking them about uh, uh, intimacy and those kinds of things. And uh, uh, one boy, or a bunch of boys, but one boy in particular, they highlighted what he said, is, is basically he had learned all about intimacy by watching these YouTube videos. And, and they asked him what he knew. And, and this is what he said. And, and this is an innocent boy being tainted, and, and it, it's happening all around us. He actually said, and I'm going to be a little graphic, he said, what, he said, what you've got to realize 
is girls like it rough, and when they say no, that means yes. Where did he learn that? And, and he, he, he believed it. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was, he thought that was normal. So, so that's where he's getting his information. You'd be very, very aware of that. Love turns into lust, and human beings become objects for gratification. And, and it, it, it subtle, subtly, uh, we see it all around us. We need to have a guard and an awareness. Our, 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 our um, uh, guard is let down. Because as Paul writes about love, Paul writes about love is in a completely different way. Paul writes this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Completely the opposite of adultery reflecting a lustful heart. So what do we do? How do we, how do we swim against the, the tide? How do we navigate this? How do we protect ourselves? How do we always keep the guard up? What should we do? Now, listen to Matthew and our Jesus speaking through Matthew and it gets pretty pretty wild when he tells us to do listen to this if your right eye causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole part to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to stumble cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell wow now, I did a little survey when you guys were coming in, and I noticed most of you have both eyes, and most of you have both hands. So we would say, you know, sometimes when you talk about the Bible, you talk about uh, we take the Bible literally. I think maybe it's a little bit better to take the Bible intelligently. Jesus is not suggesting if you took out an eye and took off a hand that that would actually change this because it's inside. That's all external. And if, if I'm going to say this, if Jesus was really serious about he would talk about removing a different part. Okay? So he's not serious about this. But he's trying to show you your heart. He's trying to show you what's going on. So, so what, what, what do we do with this? First of all, we have to own our brokenness. Probably all of us in this room have been touched by this in some way. Touched by intimacy, the desire for intimacy being expressed in an inappropriate, outside the God's designs, from something we could call soft to something very horrendous. And, and, it, and it's in us. We're, we're all touched by it to some degree. And, and, it, and if we don't address it, we don't own it, we don't go, wow, I am broken, I have some darkness in me, even when I say yes to Jesus, it's still in there. It doesn't just poof and it's gone. Uh, 
you know, you know, I need to own that. I was reading, finishing up reading through the Older Testament this week or last week, and just reminded Haggai, it's, you can find this everywhere. It says, you spend a lot of money, but you haven't much to show. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer and layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. The idea is that when we're left to our own devices, our own rhythms of life, and don't identify our, bre- our brokenness and a need for a Savior, a need for Jesus, we can do all these things, and they never satisfy. You see, he's the one who starts changing us on the inside out. We began looking at Jesus on and the Beatitudes. We saw this verse in verse 5. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. And it's understood that God starts that process when we invite him into our life. When we say, Lord, come into my life. I own my brokenness. I need your forgiveness I need your salvation. I need you to start putting the pieces of my life together. I need your spirit. I need to start walking on that path and slowly, in some ways quickly, but slowly start to see a progression, a change. Along with this comes the idea of capturing our thoughts. Capturing our thoughts. It's a process. It's work. It takes effort to capture our thoughts. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God and the ways he says to live. We capture every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. We get into that process and we capture our thoughts. I I don't think we ever stop doing this. And other times we've talked about we need to be a part of our world, in our world, engaged in our world. And if we're going to be engaged in our world, we need to be always regularly capturing our thoughts. I give you two websites Um, Both are really good. I love the fight the new drug one. It's not political. It's not religious. It's not uh, any of these things. So if you go to that one, it's, it's just clear facts, scientific, all about fighting the new drug of pornography and how it's, it's creating all kinds of problems. Um, ED is caused by it. Um, and you get to the point where uh, that a live person doesn't touch another person's heart because they've w- looked at so many images, abuse, trafficking, it goes on and on and on. You can find out a lot there. And then the xxchurch.com comes from a, a Christian walking with God, how to have freedom. There's access to filters for your phones, all kinds of stuff if you want it. Some of us may need to get rid of our smartphones, whatever it is, but it's all there if you really want to navigate down this road. 
Also involved with this, it sounds very, is to flee sexual morality. You know, we're, we're, things are always buzzing around us, but when we have the option to pull back, to run from it, we could look at the life of Joseph, when he, Joseph in the Older Testament when he fleed his bosses, his rulers, um, wife when she was coming on to him he flees he doesn't stick around I think it's because he knew he needed to get out of there before his guard dropped read that in first Corinthians flee from sexual immorality all sins a person commits are on the outside of the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body and that's some of the reason why, like I said, when I was 10 or 12 year old and saw my first magazine, I can still see those images in my head if I really want to pull them up. It's inside. You need to run from it, stay away from it. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Your body is not your own. If you are a Christ follower, your body is not your own. Doesn't get any clear. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I love the way the message says, therefore, point to God with your bodies. Cultivate healthy intimacy. I think this lessens the the tension good solid relationships if you're married you should be having sex with your spouse on a regular basis paul even says that i think i hear an amen out there but anyway do not deprive each other perhaps by mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourself to prayer then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. For the single person, this means having good, solid relationships. Cultivate healthy intimacy. Be connected with other people. And lastly, nourished on God's love. Nourished on God's love. In a sense, it's great that we're doing communion today. Communion is symbolic of Christ offering himself. We eat a little cracker that represents his body given for us. We drink a little grape juice, which represents his shed blood for our sins. We consume that as a remembrance of him. Uh, in our tradition, we don't think that actually becomes the body of Christ or the blood of Christ. It's all symbolic. That's the reason on the front of the table, it says we do this in remembrance. So we remember, and in a sense, we nourish our soul on him. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. You're blessed when you work up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Are you hungry for him? That's why we talk about spending time with him every day. Hopefully Sunday isn't your only taste of spiritual food. Hopefully you're partaking of him on a regular basis. And you have an appetite for it. You have a hunger for it. You're nourished on God's 
love. When you and I are nourished on God's love, it helps us direct our desire for intimacy. And our ultimate desire or our need or whatever you want to say, our connection for intimacy is found in God. You see, God completes life. Your marriage partner complicates life. (laughs) Whoops! That's what's in you, Dave. (laughs) Oh, no! What am I? I'm in big trouble. Pray for me. Yeah, right. Woo! I don't know where to go with that. I'm done. Amen. No. (laughs) God completes you. Your spouse complicates. I can't can't. Thank you. Amen. (laughs) That's it. I'm never going to try to say it again. All right. Time to wrap it up. (laughs) The bottom line is this. Intimacy is not a problem you solve. It's a desire you direct from a full soul. And the only one that can fill your soul is Jesus Christ. Nothing else will do that. And I don't say that to be mean or unkind. I say that to be honest with you. So, adultery. It's just the tip of the iceberg. It's the lust of the heart that that really reflects. And Jesus says, do not be involved in adultery or lust of the heart. Not to limit us, but to free us and help us to enjoy the best life we can on this planet. And that's why he says these things. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, heavy stuff. But we're thankful that you're real. It's amazing that your son's words to us 2,000 years later speak right into where our society is today. And Lord, I would ask that you would help each one of us as we process through uh, what you've shared with us. That you'd help us to process through and see what needs to be integrated into our life. Lord, we thank you for the gift of intimacy and closeness. We thank you for the gift of, of sex. And we thank you for the gift of a spouse to share it with for those of us have that. And for those who don't, we just ask that you would give them a special amount of grace in soul fullness so that they can direct their naturally God-made desires. And if there's anybody in here that has not said yes to you, we ask that in this moment they would realize that you are there for them. You're not coming to judge them. You're coming there, yes, to convict them, but to help them change so they can experience the best possible life they can this side of heaven. So we place all of this in your hands and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time in our services, we're going to be...